Abba, thank you for this time with you. Thank you for coming and sharing this time with me, allowing me to yet again be a conduit for your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom, your teaching to any that have an ear to let them hear the words, but listen to the message, Father God. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity. So this morning, um, I would like to share with you all and um, the question asking, where do you, where do you get comfort? You get comfort in Southern comfort? For those of you that don't know, that's a whiskey. Um, I'm not trying to be a, a smart guy or anything, but here's the thing. I'm an alcoholic. I started drinking to deal with issues of PTSD, blame, self-degradation, agonizing, and I wasn't walking with the Lord that back in that time I was not, and I was, um, I was blaming myself for a lot of things that there wasn't any blaming. I was believing the lies of the devil. And I've shared this with you before. Um, Satan is a liar. And when Jesus was before the Sanhedrin and he told them, he said, of course, you don't know the truth because you speak the language of your father and your father is the devil and he is a liar from the beginning. And this uh, pseudonym I shared with you before, I'll remind you, um, one of Satan's other names, besides the devil, Satan, serpent, dragon, there's a, there's a list that go on and um, much like the the list of names that are that we can find relating to God because they all describe God's character. Well, the names of Satan do describe his character too, and in such a dark manner. One of his pseudonyms, one of his other names is fear. That's an, that's a name. He is called fear. He is called the Prince of Fear. I had a, I'm sorry, pausing for a moment there because I know that I, I found a scripture and I can't recall where it is. I should probably, um, I should probably go to that and look that up since I brought it up. But he is called the Prince of Fear. And we can find that in the Bible, but I will continue. So there's also an anagram that can be made from that. False evidence appearing real, which is exactly what fear is all about. And he loves that. 
And I started drinking because I believed all that um, I believed his lies. And I believe, I believed that time and I bought into it. And so as with fear, I've shared this with you before, in fear, We go to dark places, which is also another pseudonym of Satan, the prince of darkness, prince of the earth, prince of the air. He's been given a lot of pseudonyms, and they are all descriptive of his character. There was at one time that he was a worship leader. He could make music by bending air. He was a worship leader. He didn't need an instrument. He could make music with the air. He bends and manipulates, changes and twists. And he loves to bend the truth so that it appears to be something that it's not. This is, this is because he is himself given to abomination. And this is why I've shared with you that it's very important that you do not bend the truth because when you do that, you are succumbing to the false evidence that is being presented before you by Satan that that's okay. And that it's okay that you bend that truth because you don't intend for anyone to hurt. And because you bend that truth and you make it a little white lie, it's okay. No, it's not okay. Period. It's not okay. So I believe those lies. I believed everything. I believed that all my comrades who were who were killed and and mm, bear with me a minute because this is still hard for me to talk about. Um, but the Lord has given me strength and my service dogs that are with me um, that He gave to me and brought us together before I started walking with Him. He knew that I needed a, a physical comfort. This is how good and powerful our God is in our comforter. He knew that I, he, he knew and saw that I wasn't walking with him as I should be, but he knew that these two, and this goes with many animals, not just with dogs, but they give that thing that we cannot give unless we learn how to do it, unless you have the love of God in your heart. You cannot do it. And when Christ is on the beach and having the discussion and talking about love, I'm talking about agape love, unconditional. These two little four-footed creatures that God created, they give that. They give unconditional love. And they know and sense when I have discomfort and when I have things that are going on, they come and they get as close to me as they possibly can, or they nudge me, they know, they sense that something, God gave them that. God gave them that. 
He put that in them. He created them. He gave me comfort when he knew that I wasn't going to him. He was still my comfort. He was still my heavenly father. He was still loving on me. So he gave them to me, and they've been with me for a very long time. And it's going to be a very sad time. And I know that they're not going to be with me always, but maybe we'll go together. I don't know. Um, it's not up to me. But so I... Sorry, I got off track. So getting back on crap, digressing. So my alcoholism, which is where I dove in to find comfort. See, I blame myself that I didn't go with all my comrades. And um, <sighs> there's a place called Beirut, Lebanon. And it was, we had an embassy there. And we had, at one time, the Shah of Iran was a very staunch ally of the United States in that country. And we had an embassy there. And then we had the, uh, oh gosh, I can't even remember The Ayatollah Khomeini, I believe, is what his name was, I think. I'm pretty certain. Because we had a bunch of them. But anyway, he declared that the Shah was a vile, terrible creature and that he should be destroyed. And so they did. Uh, they, they were setting all this stuff up. And they attacked the embassy. Suicide bomber, car bomber, it blew all sorts of stuff up. And then the embassy came under attack. And um, all those all those men that I served with and were my comrades and my compatriots, they were in this, we were all in the same unit together. And they went there and I transferred and went somewhere else. So as I was not, in a walk with God as I should have been. I believe that I blame myself for a lot of things and how can that possibly happen? And if I had been there, if I had been there, what, what, that I would have saved them all? No, probably not. More than likely not. I would be in a box being flown back to this country as many of them were, and many of them were not even that because they couldn't be found. So, I somehow had twisted, manipulated that because of the lies of the devil, that somehow I was responsible for them not making it out of there. <laughs> what a ridiculous notion, but this is false evidence appearing real, causes you to act, react, and treat others so differently and out of the norm. And so um, I'm sorry. So at any rate, I'm, I'm distracted because I'm trying to find up this, uh, make sure I get the name. So basically, this this fellow, the uh, 
Ruhola Khomeini. They call him the Ayatollah. He was a religious leader in Iran, and he he had declared. Um, He declared a holy war and attacked the embassy and they were going to drive all the infidels, Americans, Westerners out. And they had attacked the embassy. And um, sorry, I was a little distracted trying to find him. So I got away from the, the meat of the story. Sorry. Um, so anyway, I blame myself for, for their death and all that, which was it was a pretty egregious thing. And there were some people that might remember when that happened. But at any rate, the embassy was attacked and everything in Iran fell apart. Our kinship, our being allies with them, it just all went south. And I blame myself for not being there and how that was any way, shape, or form my responsibility. I got transferred. I was in the I was in the military. You do what they tell you to do, you transfer where they tell you to transfer to, and you follow orders. But was that good enough? No, because the devil wasn't done with me. But <laughs> so blinded he is so blinded. Um, God wasn't done with me yet either. Thank you, Father. So I dove into the bottom of the bottle and I used to reside there, just hanging out, sitting on the bottom of whatever I felt like drinking at the time. And it didn't matter. As long as I got drunk. I sought to get drunk. I wanted to be drunk. Then, after doing all of that and, and the other things that I had dealt with, and you know, you have people that you hold on to, and I mean, you're actually holding them in your arms and they die. Somehow that became my fault. Not my fault. It wasn't my fault then, so not my fault now. But the devil wanted me to believe that, and I did. Like, uh, who's it? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm I'm jumping here a little bit. I'm a little somewhat stirred. I apologize, but um, it's. Just that, it's that that notion that I had. Um, I believed the lies that I was told, so I drove, I dove into the bottom of the bottle. I got drunk, but I sought for somebody because of the other lies that I believed that somehow everything that I had been involved in, um. Somehow I believed that those were that was all my fault and that although it not, but I sought for someone to be able to punish me in my drunken stupors which happened fairly often um, I looked for somebody to be able to punish me and couldn't find anybody to do that. So I was not a very pleasant 
I was not a very pleasant drunk to be around. When I was with friends, it was it was a character thing. They their character kind of guided me, so I wasn't such a mean, honorary drunk. But if if I if they let me drift too far, I went to be a mean drunk, and I would look for somebody to fight me, to punish me, to hurt me, because I believed the lies that I was told. And uh, that young woman, uh, Tasha Layton, she sings that song, Look What You've Done. See, I believe what Satan was telling me, the lies that he told me. Look what you've done. Look who you are. Look what you... But see, that's not who I am. I'm a child of God. God is my father. And though Satan was working on me, God wasn't finished with me yet. So despite all of those things that were going on with me and blaming myself for this, believing that false evidence appearing real, he sent me these two of his creation. Helped me so much. And they're, they're still with me. Still with me. Brothers and sisters, do not believe that. So... In sharing that with you all, we, again, I ask that question, where do you find your comfort? We get into addictions. Oh, and by the way, let me digress a moment here, that I am, I have been dry for, meaning no alcoholic beverages. I may have, gosh, I can't remember if I've even had a sip of wine. I don't think I've even had any wine. I might have tasted one. I used to collect wines too, not drinking them to get drunk as I used to, but um, I learned about them and all. And I enjoyed a nice glass of wine and I would, I was able to limit, but I haven't had any. I don't, I don't have that desire. I don't go there. God took that away from me. Christ, my Lord is in my heart and my Lord, my God is my comfort. But my comfort used to be in the bottle. But was I comfortable? Was I really getting comfortable? I got in fights. I got in arguments. I got, never got arrested for doing any of that silly stuff, but, you know, been punched and knocked around a bit, but goodness gracious, couldn't even possibly think to do any of that now. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Father. But I believed that false evidence appearing real. I believed when he said, look what you've done. Look what you've done. Look, all of those comrades of yours, they went and died. You didn't die. Look what you did. I didn't do it. I blamed myself for doing it, but I was following orders. I was transferred away from them. And those people that I held on to and saw those things happen, it was my fault. I was trying to comfort them. But where is your comfort? Do you have an addiction that you've gone to seeking that comfort? Because it's not real. And most oftentimes addictions are a way of escaping and we allow those addictions to grow into that very thing. I started drinking and drank more and more and more and pretty soon I just, every 
time I turned around, when I got off of work or I got done with work, I drank and I got drunk. And sometimes even went to work drunk. We do that. We allow those things to happen. We allow them to grow into something that they are not meant to be. And we take that because we're seeking what? An escape of some kind. Escaping from what we find to be most difficult. I found it very difficult to face the fact that they all went serving this country, serving in the Marines as I was doing, but they went that way and I went this way. And they died and I did not. Was that my responsibility? No. Was it truth? Was it reality? Yes. But again, was it my fault? No. But the devil tries to get us to believe that these things that are not our fault and that we don't have any responsibility to are exactly that thing. It's our fault. And in trying to do the right thing and be responsible, he directs, he misdirects our thought process. Remember, I told you this. He attacks our minds because no matter what your intellectual prowess might be, and I'm a pretty smart guy, actually. I, you know, I've, I've shared with you, not, not to brag, but I'm just showing that my, my intellect is capable. And I met that astrophysicist. He was a professor. And he learned that I could keep up in conversation and I knew about theories that they were studying and, and realized and that I could actually keep up and understand conversation that we were having. And these other two acquaintances of his, which were not even really friends, but um, rather arrogant individuals, and we, he and I discussed that later, but they wouldn't give me the time of day because I was just the bus driver. And they had assumed that I had no knowledge of anything. And he he quite readily put them in their place and he said, hey, don't talk around him. He's here with us. He's having coffee and we're having a conversation. Include him because you know what? He's going to understand a whole lot more than you think. They just kind of looked at him and then we, he and I started engaging in a conversation with what we had been talking about and that actually he allowed me to begin so that I could illustrate to them that I did have an understanding. Which... God gave me the knowledge, came from him anyway, which is awesome. And then we were able to relax and, and the, the tensions came down and, and it became a more comfortable conversation. But what I'm, what I'm the point that I'm trying to make is not in laudation for myself or to vaunt myself up, but this is to glorify God and what he is and the comfort that he is, that you don't have to seek comfort in all these other places. And, and these addictions and these other things that we allow to become an addiction. And we completely forget God's promises that he continually reminds us of in his written word. And, here, and this goes back to something I shared with you all not too long ago. Are you listening? Because God does speak. God, does, God speaks in many different ways. And some people don't understand this. When you hear that phrase, you think that it has to be the way I'm sharing with you now, the spoken word. No. 
It could be in a written illustration. Shakespeare spoke loudly about a lot of things. He spoke about romance. And all this, but, of course, Shakespeare is not alive. But if you read any of his books, if you read any of his writings, his plays, or you visit any of those, you have, you are hearing what Shakespeare had to say. If you see any of the plays, you listen to any of the music that was scored to accompany you're hearing him. God's written word, the word of God, and God will utilize different things around. This is why he tells us to and reminds us. And for those that come to heaven and they try to pour out their excuse to him, there is no excuse because he says, his response is going to be, weren't you listening? Didn't you see everything around you? And again, as man and mammon, they like to control everything and they like to say, okay, that's just a Christmas carol. You don't sing or talk about it any other time of the year. Oh, come on ye faithful. It's not just a Christmas carol. And when there are lyrics in a Christmas carol, let heaven and nature sing, let heaven and nature sing. The fields, rocks, and plains repeat the sounding joy. That's an echo. Have you ever been in a, in a mountain and you holler down a canyon, holler down a canyon, holler down a canyon, and you hear that come back, come back, come back, come back? That's called an echo, repeating the sounding joy. The birds are singing, the trees are growing, the flowers are blossoming. It's beautiful. And the, and the perfume, and then you hear the river flowing by. And in the dead quiet of winter when there's no one around, oh, in Yosemite Valley, I shared this with you, the comfort that I used to feel from that, away from the hubbub of everything around, and I've been there in the middle of wintertime, and it's beautiful because everything is quiet. The snow comes down. You can't hear automobiles. You can't hear any noise. And in the middle of night, getting up, I did that a few times, and going out, it's beautiful. So quiet. You can't hear anything. And then in the distance, you hear the trumpeting of an elk. Or you'll hear a bear because bears don't hibernate all winter like so many people believe. They don't. You have some bears that do not go into a deep, full hibernation. And they get up in the middle of wintertime and they want to get a midnight snack. So they get out and they go find something. But this be in the quiet time, in in God's watch, I experience God in the quiet and, and comforting. Oh, God's comforting. And these hours that he wakes me and rouses me to this, the comfort that I feel. But as I'm sharing, just like in that song, it's a lie, false evidence appearing real. I believed it. I fell into it. I dove into the bottom of the bottle. I tried to get punished for something that I was not responsible for. Why? Because I believe that false appearance, the false evidence that Satan drove to appear to be real. But God reminds us of his promises constantly. And we go, the first time that we find one of the one of the primary things that God gave to us. Remember what he says? And we... A lot of people remember in uh, Joshua 1, 1, 9, and they'll find it in Isaiah. Fear not, be don't be discouraged, be strong. I'm with you wherever you go. That was first 
given to the people in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 31.6. I'm going to flip over there, so patience with me. i got to reach over and bring that important text this way. But we go to the book of Deuteronomy, pardon me, and we go to Deuteronomy. Goodness gracious, I thought I marked it. I apologize. I do, I do, I do. I thought I had marked it. I did not. But anyway, Deuteronomy 31.6. Traveling there rather quickly. I apologize for not being there already. Um, but when we go to Deuteronomy, we go to 31.6 we find that God tells us and reminds us through speaking to the people, be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them, for the Lord thy God, he is it that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Well, the nation of Israel would they were moving about and they were fearful of a lot of things. But remember what I've shared with you. False evidence appearing real. Fear. He is a liar. But fear is something that people are driven of. God knows that we are afraid of things. But being fearfully driven is something that he does not want us to be. That's not a comfortable place to be. I truly didn't find comfort in the bottom of that bottle. I was... <laughs> How silly and ridiculous and totally opposite is that? Uh, it, it is. I was seeking to be comforted, but then I would look for somebody to beat the snot right out of me to punish me because I believed the lies that Satan told me. The enemy does that. He gets into your head and he gets you to believe things by just keep planting the seed and pestering you. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are you going to do it? You're going to do it? You're going to do it? You're going to do it? Look what you've done. Look what you've done. Look what you've done. Constantly badgering and badgering. And then you become fearfully driven and you act and react and treat others the way that you normally would not do. For me, it's a great, great comfort to know that God is always with me. This I know in my heart and I feel in my heart, in my soul, in my mind. Not just because somebody tells me that, but because I know it. I feel it. I believe it. God is my God. Hashem. The Lord my God. Just like I believe when he rouses me and I come out here and I sit in this quiet time, he's here. And sometimes he'll just touch me on the shoulder. Thank you, Father. He knows I'm getting wound up and he's touching me right now because I get this. I get this sensation that just walls up in me. And then when it gets really powerful is when he puts his arms around me and then I can't stop. I just cannot. I feel it so much and it's so powerful that I well up and I cry. And this is a desire that God has for us to be with him and personally with him and have a relationship with him because he loves us. And that same desire 
he put in each and every one of us. And this, that desire is that a man with his wife, not the way all this other stuff goes on, but that desire he intended for a man and a woman and why the Bible tells us that we will cleave to our wives. And consequently, because of all this other rattling and stuff going on in my head, I didn't do that. So I live a consequential lifestyle. But knowing that God is with me, I have no problem. And that my son's mother had forgave, oh my gosh, her forgiveness and, and love, how incredible is that? But that's not anything that I need to try to steer or direct, because that's not for me. God is my father and he directs my paths. And that's a comfort to me. And also the comfort that I have in, in knowing that God speaks and, and the words of God are so powerful. We find that in Genesis 1. I've shared with you that in Genesis 1, simply by his word, that he makes things take place, makes things happen. And when we go in Genesis, the first chapter, and simply by his speaking it to be so. And his spirit was from the beginning. I've shared that with you as well. And there are individuals today that will try to convince you that, that, that the Holy Spirit didn't show up until Jesus was getting ready to leave. And then he said he'll send one. And that's when the Holy Spirit showed up. Well, that's not true. Because they're speaking without truth. They're speaking without true knowledge. And they're speaking with no wisdom because they're flapping their gums before they even know what they're talking about. That's foolishness. That's not wisdom. And they're also speaking incorrectly because they're not sharing truth. And the truth is that the Holy Spirit was from the beginning, as Christ is from the beginning, and we see that in John 1, 1. But in Genesis, first chapter, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit, ruach, Elohim, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. We find various places. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb and yielding seed and the fruit and tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. But you go through Genesis 1 and there's probably about 9, 10 points in there where it specifically said, God said, God said. I find that very comforting. I also find very comforting and that if you go again, that you go to Exodus and we see where God spoke to Moses. Um, Pretty certain I put a marker there. 
I didn't. I thought I had marked that one too. I apologize. And I'm falling apart this morning. But um, when Jesus was taught, and he did, it's in, and it shares that. Oh, I did mark it, but I didn't. I put it the wrong direction. I didn't pull it up. Put it down. Sorry. But you can go into Exodus. Actually, you go in and find in Exodus seven, eight, nine, and ten. Just limiting that, where God spoke to Moses. And the Lord spake unto Moses and said, and unto Aaron. And again, jump over into 714. And the Lord said unto Moses, and verse 19, and the Lord spake unto Moses. And then we keep on just going through 7, 8, 9, and 10. And I'm just going to leave it at that. But there are numerous places through that where it said God spoke to Moses. And then later on in the Bible, we find that God speaks to his prophets to come and bring word. And why Why do you suppose, I was thinking about that, and I'm, I'm going to jump, jumping track a little bit here from what I intend. But see, this isn't about me. This is about God. This is about the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and he's taking me where he desires me to go in the direction he wants me to go. So God speaking to Moses and Aaron and all these things is a comforting thing to me. And it is a great comfort to me, actually. And as I shared with you previously and, and in other sharings with you, that I, there are people today that declare and where they got this information from because, again, they speak as fools. And fools are those that speak without truth, without knowledge, and unwisely they run off at the mouth. And the book of Proverbs tells us not to do that. It shares that the writings of Solomon, who was one of the greatest, but they say that God doesn't talk to us anymore. But nowhere in the scripture does it say that he doesn't do that. And one of the things that we can find great comfort in also, and this is also false evidence that appears to be real, that Satan likes to drive at us, is that unforgiveness is somehow comforting. Well, how is that comforting? Well, let me illustrate for you, if I may, and I will anyway. Um, how do you figure this company? If you don't forgive someone, I'm not going to forgive them. They don't deserve it. Well, first of all, let me remind you that in saying and acting that way, you are trying to usurp the authority of God because you don't have the authority to decide who gets forgiven and who doesn't get forgiven. And we are supposed to forgive and let things go. But yet we don't do that and we believe what the devil says in those lies. But forgiveness is a great comfort. Let me share this with you so you understand what I'm talking about. 
So you don't forgive somebody. You, I can't forgive them. That's not going to happen. Let me ask you this about that. Do you see them wandering around being miserable? No. When you see their car or you see it parked on the side, you get agitated. Trust me in this, you've, you've totally been duped. And that is, you believe that not forgiving them is okay. You see their car parked in the street, you don't, you get you angry. You see their kids are playing with your kids and then, then oh, here's a, here's a beautiful illustration. What happens here? Now you're not forgiving and it irritates you because your kids are getting so well along so well with your kids and your kids are loving. They're having fun. And then you come along and you lie to your children because you don't want to be a complete pompous idiot in front of your children or their children. So you lie to them. And you bend the truth because you convince yourself that a little white lie so you don't hurt their feelings or get them scared. So you lie to your children, tell them that they have to go do this or that you're getting ready to go somewhere. And so the other children, they go laughing and giggling. They go running home. And your children are looking at you puzzled because they know, they know, they have a sense that what you're telling them is not true. And then when they get in the house, you might get confronted by them. Why'd you, why'd you say that? We're not doing that. We're not doing this. You just do what you're told to do. I don't want you to be with them anymore. But they're our friends. We want to play with them. And then you get angry. And then you send your kids to your room because you don't want to discuss it with them. And you claim that self-righteous, arrogant authority being parent. But now from not forgiving, you've bent the truth and you've lied to your children, which is not okay. And bending the truth and, and convincing yourself, trying to justify it, being a little white lie so it's okay. No, it's not. And there are actually people that claim to be Christians that will do the same thing. Oh, a little white lie is okay. No, it's not. That's culturally and sociologically acceptable, but biblically it's not acceptable. God says it is an abomination to him. And the Bible tells us to let our yeas be yeas and our nays be nay. That simply means if you tell somebody yes, it's yes. If you tell somebody no, it's no, period. You don't bend it and say, well, maybe. And then people try to justify that and bend that. This is why when people ask me things and it's so far away, my response is Lord willing, because guess what? Tomorrow is not promised. Brothers and sisters, it is not promised and that is scriptural truth. Stay in the truth, be in the truth and share only the truth. So back to this unforgiveness thing. Let me, let me pose it another direction and hopefully help you understand. Do you think that they're all uncomfortable because of you're not forgiving them? Chances are, and more likely, they have gone on their merry way and have forgotten the incident because it wasn't worthy to keep in checking off in the mind, to remember it. Oh, did you, you remember that? Oh, let me check that box. Yeah, I remember it. I'm going to stay upset. 
They've gone on their way. They've forgotten. It was something so trivial that it was something not even meant to be a harm, but you have taken it to the extreme and you are not going to forgive them because they don't deserve forgiveness. And who gave you the authority to decide that? The devil lied to you and convinced you that that is your authority because he tried to usurp the authority of sovereignty of Lord God. So he's trying to get you to do the same thing. You usurp the authority of God by saying, I'm not going to forgive them. I'm going to not forgive them. They don't deserve it. So then when you see their car, they see their, you see the kids, or you see them going into their job across the street, they wave at you and continue on their way. But you just sort of, in a huff, you turn into the coffee shop to get your cup of coffee before you go into your office. Devil's keeping you, keeping you bound in the past. You're bound up by what took place instead of forgiving and forgetting instead of going, hey, Bob, you got a minute? You know, the, the week ago, I'm really sorry I got upset and agitated and stuff like that, but I, I forgive, I want to forgive for whatever happened up there. And then what's Bob say? He goes, okay, I, I can't really remember. I think I remember what you're talking about, but it's okay, I just let it go. I forgot about it, but thank you. And I'm sorry too. I'm sorry that it happened. And now all of a sudden, now the revelation has been made to you that they thought it was so trivial and so meaningless, they forgot about it. But not you. Oh no, you weren't going to forget them because you were going to make them pay. And how do you make them pay? By lying to their children, by lying to your children, by becoming angry about everything that was going on. And they were just going down the street and on the way into work. And they look over and they give you a wave and a smile. And you're so angry and caught up and bound up in the lie. Now, Joseph could have been this way. But let's go over here to, and if you remember the story about Joseph, and we, we find actually in uh, Genesis 50, we find kind of the later rel relating of the story. And uh, his father was actually getting ready to die. Now, his just to remind you, take, give you through this very quickly. Um, Joseph was sold into bondage by his brothers, dug a pit, lied to their father, cut his coat of many colors that his father had made for him, and cut it up and covered it in lamb's blood and told their father that Joseph had been killed. In reality, he was not. Then they decided they weren't going to just leave him in the pit and let him die. They, they were going to sell him and they were going to make money off their brother, which they did. And, but Joseph being an honest, truthful, God-fearing individual, God comforted him. Even in trials and everything, Joseph had been through a half a dozen different things. He even had a woman try to seduce him and he resisted and the truth was made known and Joseph was elevated to a high position by Pharaoh. He was honored. And we find in um, Genesis 50, let's go to Genesis 50 and 20. This is another comforting thing that I find. But as for you, and this is Joseph is talking to his brothers. Ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good and to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And this is when Joseph had brought everybody to Goshen. 
And we also find reference to that in our adoption letter. We can go to Romans 8 and 28. You can find it there. We are reminded of that very comforting thing. That in spite or despite everything that is meant for evil and wickedness that comes before us in the lies and deception, God will turn it around and make it good. But in diving in, See, Satan doesn't want us to be comforted. He wants us to be bound up in, in great discomfort and caught up in false evidence. And in doing that, we turn to false comfort, addictive, quote-unquote, pleasures. That's where Satan wants us to be. And that happens because if we start buying into the false evidence that appears to be real, that's what we do. That's what I did. That's where I was. And now I live a consequential lifestyle. But forgiven, not only by my heavenly father, but by my son's mom, who in her great forgiveness and deal, and we contact and we chat and we have conversation. And I get a Christmas card every year. It's a wonderful Christmas card. Not any mushy stuff, but I mean, we just express the love that we know that we both had. And whatever else happens is not up to me or her, it's up to God. Point being that these pleasures and what we do, we need to seek the truth, knowledge, and wisdom of God. Finding true comfort. And when you take a, a really hard, positive, perspective look at the dainties that are offered, and, and that, that comes from the book of Psalms. I've shared that with you before. But dainties are an old term for temptations or those things that you know you shouldn't partake of. A lot of times, and the English actually still use that word, they bring out these big old trays of dainties. And when you go to um, you go to some special kind of function and they have these trays of all these things that you know you shouldn't take, but they look so delicious and you're going to do it anyway. And now your diet is just all shot. So then you start gorging yourself on everything that's there when you know you shouldn't, but you, you were weak because of the dainties. So these dainties are presented as a comfort, but the reality is revealed because of the false evidence appearing real that it's become uncomfortable. By being driven by that fear and it's not really a comfortable place to be. You become fearfully driven. God knows that you are afraid of things, but when you allow fear to drive you, that's being fearful. Not having fear is okay, but being fearful is being driven by fear and that's being driven by Satan instead of the Holy Spirit because you've given in to that and you allow that false evidence that appears to be real to dictate how you are going to act, react, and treat other people. And when we're driven by fear, that's exactly what we do. We treat and speak with others totally differently 
in what you do. And you think that's comfortable. That might be comfortable for you. But how uncomfortable do you make others when you are acting and, and acting out that way? How uncomfortable is it really? You can, you can cause so many... Ah, I'm getting really wound up here and bound up because this is all really powerful stuff that the Holy Spirit is sharing with you. But when you go into a big function, I mean, you go to a, a, a work party, party, holiday party, or something's going on, and you have a lot of people, you get invited to a birthday, a really good person, and you're at their party, but because of your uh, being fearfully driven for something, that you make everyone there, everyone there, uncomfortable. I mean, that's happened in some place. I mean, you had examples of that stuff going on with that, all that falsehood and stuff going on some years ago now it's been, and they still try to push that fear into people and get them fearfully driven. And people actually get very uncomfortable about it. And there's some that are still so fearful and they're acting that way that they still act the same way they did then. But it, the, the reality of it is that God is our comfort. God is our joy. Be joyful in the Lord. Paul reminds us, rejoice in the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. So when you get duped into belief that false evidence appearing real, you don't forgive you make decisions that are not actually your decisions. You believe they are because you're duped into that reality, but it's not the reality. And you remain bound by that. You are the one that is bound. And they could actually care less, the individuals. And we're reminded by Christ when he's in front of the Sanhedrin and they're talking all this nonsense to to Jesus and they weren't understanding what he was talking about. He says, well, of course not, because I speak truth and you don't recognize truth because your father is a liar and your father is the devil. And he was a liar from the beginning, which is true. But God has been a comfort and a provider from the beginning. Okay, hear and understand this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, all that gone, and then coming down, he created man and he, the Garden of Eden. Everything that was needed for provisionary necessities for Adam and Eve. And then he comforted man because he didn't want Adam to be alone on this plane of existence that when Adam was here, he didn't want him to be discomforted. So he provided a comfort for him. He created woman for Adam so that Adam would be comforted. And everything in the garden was provided for them. And they were naked all the time and it wasn't any big deal because God created them and it wasn't a big deal to either one of them because that wasn't the driving force that was necessitated them to be together. And everything was provided. The weather was great. The weather was awesome all the time. And God would come and walk with them in the cool of the evening. He provided everything they needed. And the one thing that he told them was don't mess with that tree in the center of the garden. Now, here's where the lies come in. Everything was provided for them. Everything that they needed, everything that they needed, 
hear what I'm saying, needed, was provided. But Satan beguiled Eve. He tricked her, he lied to her, and he cheated her by taking her comfort and they lost their place in Eden because there where they were, everything was, they had all the food they needed to have, they had all the comfort they needed to have, and they could lay down and nap anywhere they wanted to. And if they didn't want to, that's fine. Everything was provided what they needed. But Satan tricked her and lied to her, making her believe that they didn't have everything that they needed. That the tree in the center of the garden, God didn't want them to have it. Well, no, he didn't want them to, but everything else, they didn't need it. They didn't need it because everything was provided. They didn't need to know that each other was naked. They didn't need to have the clothing. They didn't need that they had to find some overhead protective shelter. They didn't need any of that because God provided everything that they needed to have. But Satan provided that false evidence appearing real and tricked her. He beguiled her. So they believed that they didn't have everything that they need. So they were sent out of the garden and they had to start fending for themselves down here. Does that sound kind of familiar? What do your, what do your children get when they get old enough and then they go, well, I don't get enough. I don't get enough. I got, I'm going to get out on my own. Okay, well, when you get out on your own, you start paying your own bills and all that stuff. And then you have uh, some judges that will go along with what the children say and they give them emancipation so they don't have to live at home. And they're not of age to be out on their own by the law, but because they have received emancipation from their parents, they're sent out on their own, but the parents are still required to pay their bills and take, feed them and all that stuff. Still provide them comfort because they can't. They're not old enough to even go to work yet, but parents still got to take care of them, but they're not required to live under their house. Follow the rules. God speaking is a very comforting and we find that he does so. Again, I share that with you in Exodus 7, 8, 9, and 10. That he, that's just a short list of God speaking to Moses. And despite what foolish men and women make in a declaration today, that, and, and I fully and faithfully believe God still speaks to us today. And so much of it is shut off by the spiritual hearing, and you have individuals, and I've heard them within the body of Christ say the same, well, I don't hear God talking. I don't hear him anymore. Are you listening? Even when you sit in silent prayer, are you busy babbling over God and you can't hear him because you're busy? And your mind is busy? See, that's where Satan likes to take us to. But God also knows, here's the, here's, here's the truth and I shared this uh, the other day with you, is that God knows that we get distracted. He knows that. But just come back to him. Come back to that place you need to be all the time. David did that all the time. He always came back to God. And God called him man after mine own heart. So be after God's own heart. You might wander, you might get distracted, but come back. And here's something I'm going to throw at you real quick. In this day and age, we have heard, and I heard it 
spoken of years ago when I was in bread. Bread is a comfort food. Christ in John 6, 32 through 35, we hear Christ declares himself as our bread. He is our comfort. He is our love. Brothers and sisters, that is a fact. That's comforting to me. You're in my prayers and my going out, my coming in every day. Be blessed.